0: And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 15 today, starting in verse 21. So if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, it's page 821 Uh, of these Bibles that we provide for you. And listen, uh, if you do not maybe own a Bible or uh, would just like a new copy, feel free to take that one as a gift from Redemption Hill. We would love to give that to you as uh, just a gift of our appreciation for you coming today and to help you uh, continue to learn more about God through His Word. Well, uh, really excited to share with you today as we continue our series we're calling Overcome. And this series is leading us up uh, to the Passion Week of Jesus, as we reflect on his death, and ultimately as we celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. So, we chose this, this passage uh, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the series of passages, because we feel like it gives a robust picture of who Jesus is. Right? Last week we saw him as the teacher and how he railed against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders when they were saying one thing with their mouth, but their heart wasn't all in, right? It was, there was a disconnect there. They claimed to worship God and follow God, but they weren't really living it out. And then these next two weeks, we're going to see not so much his teaching, although it's certainly teaching that's loaded through these, these stories, but we're going to see more of the actions of Christ, the miracles of Christ that he performed when he walked this earth. And then ultimately on Easter, I think is a great passage we'll look at on that Sunday. Well, um, what we learn as we study the Gospels, these biographies of the life and work of Jesus, is that Jesus was not an impenetrable hero, okay? So um, yes, Christians throughout the centuries have believed that Jesus was and is God, right? This, this, Person who was born in a little town called Bethlehem outside of the city of Jerusalem, in fact, was God in the flesh. And yet, that does not mean that Jesus was invincible, nor was he immune to our suffering. You see, those of us who Believe Jesus is God. We can fall into a danger where we will say with the, 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 the saints throughout the, the centuries, right? In the Nicene Creed, it says, we believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God from God, true light from true light, very God from very God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. And we're saying all this is true about Jesus, like he's God, he's God, he's God, he's God, to the point where we can actually elevate his deity to the degree that we miss his humanity or we at least neglect the fact that he was not just fully God, but he was fully man. But it was at great cost that the eternal Son of God took on flesh and blood. He was tired like us. He was hungry like us. He shed tears like us. In fact, we could say that Jesus was acquainted with our brokenness in an unparalleled way. And you say, well, Tanner, how can you make that argument? It's it's quite simple. If Jesus was God and he made this world and everything in it, and he designed it perfectly and knew exactly how things ought to go, he then, better than anyone, could see the disconnect between the way things ought to be and the way things were. And that's why it absolutely crushed him. This is why I think we have this peculiar description of Jesus in the prophet Isaiah who wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was born into this world who said that Jesus would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus entered into our brokenness. He experienced our brokenness and ultimately he came to overcome our brokenness. So this is the hope-filled message for us today, that no matter what aspect of the brokenness of this world, and you know, if, if I were just to have separate conversations with each one of you, like on your way out, obviously we don't have time for that today, if you want to stick around, I'm always free, like we want to we wanna have these conversations, but if if I had the privilege of saying, hey, what's going on with you, and you were to be honest and transparent, there's probably some good things going on in your life, but there's probably some very ugly things or, or bad things or at least, you know, things that you would consider as broken in your life that you feel are just not right and you wish they were better. You wish that you could experience healing in these areas of your life. And so what we're going to see today in the gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is the one who overcomes our brokenness. It's the question that that we have to ask ourselves today is, is this. Will we believe there is something better on the horizon? Will we believe that Jesus can overcome the brokenness that we experience in our lives? This is where Matthew 15 verse 21 takes us as we look at this story and as we're encouraged to believe in Jesus as the overcomer of our brokenness. So if you would, read along with me as I read these verses for us. Matthew starts in verse 21, chapter 15, and he says this, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread And throw it to the dogs? She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. I find this to be one of the most fascinating stories in the gospel when it comes to the life of Christ. This encounter is one that kind of keeps us off balance as we work our way through this short story that is captured here for us. We find that Jesus is silent when we expect him to speak. He appears to be cold when we would expect warmth from Jesus. And even he seems to be very exclusive when we would expect him to be inclusive. But what I would post to you this morning, and what I hope to argue as we work our way through this story, is that there is more than meets the eye that's happening here in this story. What we're going to find is that the setting and the characters of this story have a lot to teach us about who Jesus is and what he has done and why that matters for us. So the first thing that I want to, to, for us to see as we begin to work our way through this, uh, this story is that Jesus is the one who overcomes barriers. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus went to the region, the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tanner, where is that? Okay. Um, that is outside of the nation of Israel. It's at least 25 to 50 miles beyond the border of Israel. So in other words, like Jesus is pretty deep, especially by that standard of that day. Like we're thinking like, man, we could just drive there in 25 minutes. We're good. No, like they walked everywhere they went. Okay. And so um, he was far beyond the borders of Israel, deep into foreign territory. And we, we know that these ancient cities, which are in now modern day Lebanon, were powerful cities because they were centers of trade and there was wealth there, but there was also, of course, false worship from the perspective of the people of Israel that these people did not know the God of Israel, they did not look for God to save them, but they worshiped a number of false idols, including the idol Baal. If you've read the Old Testament, you would be familiar with that particular idol. And so we immediately ask the question, okay, what is Jesus doing there, that far outside of Israel, into this foreign territory? And I think we can just pause and have a little bit of fun here, okay? So I'm going to post some multiple choice options, and you can kind of take your pick as to where you think, you know, the reason is that Jesus is outside of Israel, okay? So uh, number one, perhaps, it's because of opposition, all right? There was rising opposition against Jesus from many of the people in Israel, particularly the people of influence, the religious leaders. Right? So we saw this last week. They didn't appreciate his teaching all the time, nor did they appreciate all of the miracles that he was performing because his not only opposition was rising, but also another option is that his popularity was rising as well. With the people, as he taught with authority and insight, as he performed these miracles again and again and again, and lives were being changed, they began to be envious of Jesus because of what he was offering to the people. So maybe it's opposition, maybe it's popularity, or perhaps, here's a third option, it was just the fact that Jesus, in this time, needed some rest. I mean, remember we said like Jesus is, is, is God, fully God, but he is also fully man, which means he needed some time to rest and get away and be refreshed. In fact, the Gospel of Mark, if you're kind of leaning toward uh, answer C, uh, the Gospel of Mark really helps you out because this, this same story as given by another biographer of Jesus named Mark tells us that he went there to rest and he was actually in a home and he hoped that no one would know where he was, yet he could not stay to himself because people heard, hey, Jesus has come, and then people wanted to see him and to go with him, go to him with these type of requests. And so have you, have you chosen your answer, A, B, C? I think we could probably say it's D, right? All of the above, all right? So... Some of you said, like, that's nah, probably all three, and if you did, all right, you get a free peppermint on your way out, compliments of Redemption Hill Church, all right? So, um, so, so Jesus is probably all of these factors, right? He was opposed, he was popular, he needed rest, and, and even the, the cross, what, what he's going to do in his sacrifice on our behalf on a Roman cross, that's looming ahead, so he's preparing himself for the sake of that mission, and actually much, much more than these three answers, which we'll see as we work our way through this story. But we ask, not only is what he, what is he doing here, but why is he entertaining this request from this this one, this woman in verse 22? You see, Matthew seeks to grab our attention. Look at what he says in verse 22. And behold, this is his way. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see that he he gives this kind of heads up time and time again. Behold, what we're about to see is very, very important. He says, behold, A Canaanite woman from that region came out. And so the fact that Jesus is in Canaan is telling us that Jesus was willing to cross nationalistic barriers that might have hindered someone interacting with him. And this is big, right? Because the Canaanites and the Israelites were not allies, they were enemies. Historically, they were enemies. But not only that, they were also had differences of religion. We already talked about that. Their allegiances were different in terms of their religious devotion. So Jesus is crossing these social and nationalistic barriers. He's crossing these religious barriers. But then also, not to be missed, he is also crossing cultural and gender barriers. You see, women in the first century, uh, they did not have it as good today as... Women do in the 21st century, not that we've arrived in all the ways that we need to arrive, right? But when you go back two millennia, it was a much different ballgame than what we have today. And so it would have been abnormal for Jesus to interact in a very meaningful and personal way with this woman, much less this Canaanite woman. And so we see that Jesus breaks through the barriers that are often constructed for us. His love breaks through barriers. And I don't know about you, but I find this massively attractive about Jesus. I would hope that whether you are a believer in Jesus today or whether you are not, maybe you're not yet a believer in Christ, I think either way you're saying, man, there is something appealing about Jesus that he would be willing to cross the barriers of race and gender and culture and nation to build relationships with other people. Clearly, this woman has this kind of hope. So she goes to him, and she hopes for healing. But what we're going to see is that unexpectedly, her hope for healing would not come easily which leads us to the second thought, okay? is not only that Jesus overcomes barriers, but he also overcomes our unbelief. And I want you to really think about this statement because it may hit you in a way that, that you wouldn't necessarily expect as we see the picture that is laid out of this woman and her interaction with Jesus, okay? So what we know about her is that she was experiencing deep and acute personal brokenness. She is broken with her own grief because of the brokenness that her daughter is experiencing being oppressed by a demon. Now, uh, we can't know exactly what that looked like. Okay, sometimes it looked very much like spiritual torment and debilitation, other times it, it, it looked like a physical disability that um, was attributed to some type of demonic possession. Uh, we don't know what it was, but we know that her daughter was in a very, very bad place. But what we also know is that this woman displays what Jesus calls great faith that Jesus would, in fact, move to heal and to overcome this brokenness in her life. And so what I want to ask you today as we work our way through how she's breaking through these barriers, okay? Now, number one, just, this is a personal question for you, all right? What brokenness around you is breaking your heart today? What is it in your life that, that you see, this is not the way that it ought to be, and this breaks my heart because of the brokenness that I see around me? And then number two, not just identifying brokenness, which is probably not very difficult, but what is more difficult is to ask the question, will we break through those barriers with belief? This story is amazing how we see that that there are apparent, okay, and that's that's a key word, right? Apparent barriers to this woman's belief that Jesus would indeed heal and overcome her brokenness. We already talked about the cultural barriers, right? I mean, the the same barriers that were in place for Jesus were also in place for this woman, right? So she could have said like, hey, you know, Jesus, he he may be the Messiah and he may be able to heal my daughter just like I've heard that he's healed so many others, but you know what? I probably shouldn't waste my time because um, I have no business being in the same room as him. She doesn't let that stop her. She cries out in the tense of the Greek. It's like she keeps crying out. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. To the point where even... Jesus' disciples were like, hey, like, could you kind of meet her need and send her away? Because, I mean, just the repetition and the urgency and the intensity of this moment for this woman was very, very clear. This request for mercy is a request for undeserved kindness. And I love the, 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 the understanding that she goes to Jesus with such intensity. I want you to think about this in terms of, uh, if you ever pray for someone, like when we pray on someone else's behalf, we call that, the Bible calls that intercession. Like we're we're going uh, before God for them. And this is what is happening in this story, okay? The, the, The mother says what? Have mercy on me. She doesn't say, have mercy on my daughter. She says, have mercy on me. And the reason is that is because when we truly feel the plight of someone else, their plight becomes our plight. And that is when we are really praying in a way that is true intercession, right? Truly caring about the other person to that degree. It's a beautiful picture that she gives us of faith and movement toward God to request mercy, which is the essence of of prayer and intercessory prayer. So we would then be surprised that verse 23 tells us that Jesus did not answer her a word. This repeated, intense crying, perhaps outside of the home where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, um, he doesn't answer her. Which, which, which we probably find pretty strange, right? Because we've seen in the gospel so many times that when a request is presented to Jesus, then oftentimes he is going to answer that request very promptly. And oftentimes he doesn't even wait to be requested. Like he sees a need and he goes and meets the need. So what is going on here with Jesus that he would remain silent? Perhaps there have been times in your life Perhaps there have been seasons of brokenness in your life when you, if you're being honest, would say, God, you seem very silent right now. God, I, I, I believe, like, I want to believe that you're there. I want to believe that you hear, but you don't seem to hear me right now. Which, which by the way, this is, this is one of the reasons. That I remain a Christian to this day because the the picture of God that we have in Christianity is distinct from other world religions, that we have a very personal God. A God who reveals himself as a parent, as father, who wants to enter into our lives and relate to us. And, And even in Jesus, as we said, he enters into our brokenness. And so when Jesus, when, when Jesus is silent, when we assume that God is silent, he does not hear us, perhaps what we need to do in those moments is just wait and trust that in our re- requesting, in our praying, in our going to God, and these pleas for mercy, that God is doing something as we are waiting that we can't see that maybe, in fact, he is using his silence to build us up and to produce something in our life that we wouldn't have Seen otherwise. The woman is not deterred by Jesus' silence, but she continues to cry out and beg for mercy. This is when the disciples say, Hey, Jesus, could you take care of her here? Like, I don't know if their motives were pure or not, but you know, you just, they, they say, Hey, could you send her away? Which seems to be like, meet her request, send her away, we can enjoy some peace and quiet. But Jesus gives us a surprising statement that breaks the silence. And it's a statement of his mission. Look back in verse 24. He says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, um, why would I rush to meet this woman's request when the priority of my mission is not here in Canaan, but it is there in Israel? I am Israel's deliverer. I am Israel's Messiah. This is where the mission begins. And so why would there be an expectation on me at this point that, that I would rush to meet the request? I mean, if we're being honest, I don't know about you, but when we read through that, perhaps you're thinking like, wow, Jesus, like that, that seems a little cold. We would expect you to be warm in this moment. We would expect you to rush to meet her request. What is going on here? And again, we can read this as cold and harsh, or we can believe that Jesus is doing something that just doesn't immediately surface when our eye meets the text. See, what I think is going on here is that Jesus is drawing out this woman's faith. She, he is drawing out her belief. He is helping reveal what is going on in her heart. I mean, surely Jesus knew that she had a sincerity about her right now, that in her belief, that, that she really believed that he was able to overcome her brokenness. I mean, and, and if, like, even if you say, like, a container, I'm not sure if I buy that. Well, just think about Jesus and how in tune he was with his mission. When he says that I was only sent to the, house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, okay, he's talking about the priority and the focus. Of even Jesus only had so much time, right? So mission was going to start in Israel, but Jesus knew that mission was not going to stop with Israel. It was going to start there, but it wasn't going to stop there. He knew that Isaiah 49, written nearly, roughly 800 years before this moment, okay, would say about the Messiah that it is too small a thing for them just to save the people in Israel, he's going to be a light to the nation that God's salvation might extend to the ends of the earth. I mean, we think that Jesus wasn't aware of that? Do we think that maybe Matthew, in the way that he built his gospel, isn't also aware of this? Okay, so consider this. Matthew is pinning this gospel to a primarily Jewish audience. in the way that Matthew presents Jesus to this Jewish audience as not just the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of all peoples. And the way that we know this is because of chapter one. Okay, just think about the structure. Okay, he was a good writer. Okay, these guys, even though they lived 2,000 years ago, they were pretty smart. Okay, we have that chronological snobbery, as C.S. Lewis talked about. Um, So they're pretty smart guys. And, And he talks about Jesus as the son of David, the son of Abraham and his genealogy. So say, well, Tanner, what does that mean? It means that in Genesis chapter 12, when God promised that he would bless Abraham, he said, you're going to have as, as many descendants as the stars in the sky, and through you will all the peoples of the earth, all the families of the earth be blessed. In other words, God's salvation and his blessing is not just for the people that belong to Abraham, the people who would become the people of Israel, but it is for all people. In the gospel of Matthew then ends in chapter 28 with Jesus saying what? Go make disciples of what? All nations. Not just so Matthew 15 is positioned in the middle of the gospel to show us this step of Jesus that he is in fact the savior of all people. So this statement here, it seems to be more of a test, more of a, of a time of drawing out what is in her heart. And what is in her heart is clearly this deep belief because she heightens her appeal. And verse 25 says, she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this story, I'm thinking, okay, like Jesus was you know silent and now he's given this statement about his mission. And it seems like, so, so now she is kneeling with Complete humility and dependence, submission to him, that that, that only he can provide this for her is implied by her words and her posture. And yet, Jesus, at this point, when she makes this request, throws up a fourth barrier. He says what? It is not right to feed the bread of the children and give it to the dogs. I mean, like, what, what is it like, what is going on here, Jesus? Like, you would say that to this woman in her, in her time of hurt, in her time of pain, in her time of brokenness? But this woman has shocking, tenacious faith. She says, yes, yes. Um, I can actually agree with that because, by the way, that's an irrefutable argument. Like, no, no, like as much as, as much as you love your dog, and many of you have dogs, and you love your dog like you love your kids, almost, but no person in their right mind would starve their children to feed their dog. She can't refute it, but what she can do is work out the implications of Jesus' analogy, and so she says, yes, Lord, it is true, but... Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman, she does not walk away dejected. She doesn't try to manipulate Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, you're so powerful. Remember, this is what they did to Jesus on the cross. Like, hey, if you're really the savior of the world, then you know, show yourself the savior and take yourself down and and and, and do away with this moment of, of your death. But she doesn't do that. She doesn't try to manipulate Jesus. She doesn't demand anything from Jesus as if she was entitled to this request. Okay, She comes humbly and she puts this request before him and she says, God, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you help me in this moment? She is a picture of incredible faith. And I hope that no matter what, experience of brokenness that you are facing now in your life today, that you will go to God with this kind of tenacity and persevering faith. God, you are able. There seems to be a barrier. You seem not to be listening, but I'm going to press on. You seem to have different purposes here, but I am going to press on and wait for you to give an answer. Belief sees beyond the barriers, right? Our belief sees beyond the barriers that are in front of us. And So this woman displays this great faith, this overcoming faith, so much so that, that we want to applaud her and commend her, and we absolutely should but, because she is clearly displaying an unbelievable overcoming faith. But I would pose to you that... Her overcoming faith is ignited because Jesus had already overcome her unbelief. This is where I said you need to kind of track with me because there's more than meets the eye that's going on here in the passage. Okay, um, Yes, she had this, this, this overcoming faith, but why did she have it? It's because she saw in Jesus the one who would be able to overcome this brokenness in her life you see when when we that this is the essence of faith right faith is seeing that within our own power within our own ability we do not have the resources So faith then says, look, hey, I don't have it in me, so I'm going to look beyond myself to the power of someone or something else. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting in or resting in the power, the work of someone else. And it takes God to open our eyes to see that that kind of provision and that kind of sufficiency and that kind of work and that kind of power is available to us in Jesus. So, so, it, so it's, it's God that is helping us see and igniting this faith in our heart that then moves us to go to God with exceptional, tenacious, persevering faith. And when we do, Oftentimes, God will, even in the moments of our brokenness in this life, he will carry us through. And oftentimes, he will reverse the brokenness now and not later. And so this woman believed that Jesus' salvation was big enough for her situation. She believed Jesus could overcome her brokenness. I love what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, Oh woman. I mean, we we get the the sense of emotion from Jesus that he is is moved from within by this woman's faith. Oh woman, great is your faith. And that's when he moves to answer her cry for mercy and he says, "Be, be it done for you as you desire. And in that moment, Her daughter was healed. And so I want to ask you uh, just to pause for a moment and consider this, okay? As as God is working in our brokenness and, and as we are facing many different pieces of brokenness in our life and we're trying to push through and seek to overcome these barriers, would you consider this possibility? What if God wants to use your brokenness to lead you to him? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that in the struggle? Someone that you love is hurting, maybe a child in your life, things aren't going the way that you would envision for your child, or perhaps there's an an analogous situation where someone that you love is, is physically or mentally or emotionally in pain and needs healing. Perhaps you see uh, injustice around you then the brokenness of our world that you long for it to be mended and healed. Maybe there's a situation in your workplace or with a relationship that, that is just not right and you want it to be worked out. What if God is using this season of your life to lead you to him? J.C. Ryle, a pastor a couple centuries ago, said, said this, Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Health is a good thing, we'd all agree with that, but it takes faith to believe, hey, but sickness is better if that sickness actually leads us to God, where, and without it, we would not go to Him. Let's be honest. Let's be honest here this morning, right? Um, When things are going great, we don't always feel our need for God. This is why Jesus would say it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. It's not because there's anything wrong with being rich. It's because that in our wealth, we feel like we have it all together and we have the tiger by the tail and, and we don't need help from anyone in this life and even we're so arrogant to think that we don't need God's help. So brokenness can be a blessing. It can lead us to God. And as we're broken and as we display this belief, then oftentimes, even in this life, God will answer our prayers in a favorable way. He'll mend the relationships that we long, that we know that ultimately He desires for them to be mended, or He'll bring physical healing to someone who, who uh, is, is, is struggling with a, a severe illness. But that's not always the case in this life. So, so, so what I want to do is be careful here because we talk about like Jesus overcomes our brokenness and Jesus is the one who brings healing. And so then all of a sudden we think, well, then in every case, no matter what brokenness I'm experiencing, it's always going to be fixed. And that's not always the case. God in his mysterious wisdom does not always answer every prayer that we pray with sincerity or in faith. But we do know that even if ultimate healing does not come in this life, that ultimate healing is coming for all of God's people, those who belong to Jesus. So, so just what, what I want to do, I don't want to temper, okay? I don't want to temper in any way your persevering, tenacious faith to believe that God can change your situation or mend your brokenness okay, because we should go to God like we see in this, in this story. And at the same time, we need to be careful to not demand of God something that he has, listen to this, has not promised us. I heard a church planter, I was down in Atlanta last week and this church planter, African-American friend uh, who's planting a church in Atlanta, he said something that I hope I don't forget. He said this, the quickest way to discontentment, remember we talked about contentment a couple weeks ago? Okay, The quickest way to discontentment is to hold God hostage to promises that he never kept, made, promises that he never made, sorry. Let me say that again. The quickest way to discontentment is to hold God hostage to promises he never made. So we don't don't demand of God. We don't say, God, you've promised me. Like, this world is broken, right? It's not the way that, that God wants it to be, and that's because of our sinfulness, our wrong. We have got ourselves into this situation. That's the story of the Bible. It's just amazing that God would move to mend our brokenness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the solution to our brokenness. This woman saw Jesus as her answer. She was not looking for another way out of her brokenness, but she went to Christ because she saw him as the deliverer. Verse 22, we we see this, okay? She calls him Lord, which was at least at minimum a very great sign of respect for Jesus, But there's probably more going on because she says, Lord, son of David. And in Israel and in the parts around Israel, what son of David was pointing to was the coming deliverer or Messiah who was going to bring God's kingdom back into play. But what we find about Jesus is that he often defies our expectations, right? He, he, he works in ways that we don't expect. You see, what, what the people thought was that Jesus was going to come back as an earthly king and set up a political reign and rule and restore all of these blessings, like right then and right now. But Jesus is going to do something far greater. Jesus, in his plan, is to restore all of our brokenness, all of our, of our sorrow and suffering. He is going to bring physical restoration like we see here in the story, but he's not going to stop there. He is going to bring both physical restoration and he's going to bring spiritual restoration for people who, like this woman, would go to God in faith and say, I need to be healed because not only is the world broken around me, but I am broken as well. When Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, this, this phrase should not be uh, construed as, okay, there are some people, sheep represent people, okay, so there are some people in Israel who like, need this and others who don't, okay. It, it is, he is saying, I came for the lost sheep who, who are, who is the house of Israel. Everyone needed his deliverance, because we have all turned away from God's plan. Isaiah 53 tells us this in verse 6. It says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's not just there's brokenness around us in our world, though there most certainly is, but it is also that there is brokenness within us and our souls need to be healed. Our iniquities need to be taken care of. This is why Jesus died on the cross, because we had broken God's intention and commands and done our own thing. We had gone our own way and we needed God to bring us back and he does that through the work of Jesus Christ. He does this through his death on a Roman cross, which is what we are reflecting on as we move into this Easter season. Isaiah 53, one verse earlier, verse five says this, Jesus was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It was the death of Christ, the wounds of Christ, that provide healing for us in a holistic sense that the cross of Christ, his work there, is reconciling all things both in the physical and in the spiritual, and he is going to bring it all back together through what he has done for us. And so the hope of this story and the ultimate good news that we see in the life and the death of the resurrection of Christ is that Jesus overcomes our brokenness by being broken for us. Because Jesus was broken on our behalf, we can experience healing in this life and in the life to come. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna pray in just a moment and our team is going to come out and we're gonna sing a a, a very familiar song uh, for those that have probably been inside and even maybe outside of the church. It's called Amazing Grace. And we're gonna sing a a little added part to the song that that some writers threw in uh, probably about a decade ago that talks about how our chains are gone and we've been set free because our God and our Savior has ransomed us. And like a flood, listen to this imagery, like a flood, his mercy, his mercy reigns. Lord, have mercy. His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. If you have not experienced the mercy of Christ and the grace of Christ, I plead with you to receive his gift of salvation today for your broken soul. But whatever it is, listen, even beyond that, whatever brokenness you are experiencing in this life, you can go to him today. Lift it up in prayer today. Even as we sing this song, and we're going to have a time of prayer after. If you want to pray with someone in our church, we're going to have some post-service prayer. But, But listen, bring that request to God and go to God and plead for mercy and know that He is listening and that He cares and He wants to overcome this brokenness in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that Jesus is the overcomer and that you... Offer us the gift of healing in the midst of our brokenness through the work of Christ and Him being broken for us. So, Father, would you even now prick our hearts to believe that your work is sufficient for us and that there is nothing that we need to hold back from you, not only personally in in the depths of our soul, and we may feel like, that we are unworthy of a relationship with you, that that Jesus died for the worst parts of us, the worst sinful thought, the worst sinful action. Jesus died for them all. And Father, the brokenness that we experience, God, would you give us the confidence to come to you in faith and to keep believing with tenacity that you are at work to heal and to mend and to bring us through. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.